So I had been working at High Point for like two weeks and there was a note left open on my computer and I got back and there was like a full two paragraphs describing how I hated Nick's big stupid face. (laughs) And then I asked, I was like, how did this get here? And somebody was like... You were sleep typing, John. Somebody, (laughs) I forget who it was, but somebody was like, yeah, Nick a little bit ago just sort of ran out of your office giggling. So I assume (laughs) that that was the the cause of that note so yeah i i take some joy in like when staff leave especially newer staff to go and like get coffee or something to go to the bathroom or whatever i kind of take a little bit of joy in like either doing that <laughs> typing something like that they might have written that is like against me or something yeah. <laughs> or i'll write a note to them from their computer mm-hmm. either like an yeah earn, i think i received love message i think i received that one or like a week so or two dumb. later yeah like, i can't believe the stuff you type into me <laughs> it's just like you should just let me take over and do this yeah yeah a week or two later i also had a message from siri in a different one of my open notes talking about how she missed the time that we used to spend together <laughs> <laughs> yeah Yeah, I think it's funny. Hey everyone, welcome to the Engage and Equip podcast. This is a resource designed to help form substantive disciples for the local church. I'm Ashlyn Phelps, the communications coordinator at High Point Church, and you're listening to an Escaping Babel episode. Escaping Babel is our podcast series on escaping cultural captivity with gospel truth. In this episode, you'll be hearing from Nick, our lead pastor, John Sikotowski, our director of Kids Ministries, and Hannah Ahn, Nick's assistant. John is going to say that this episode is on non-normative masculinity, and for the first about eight minutes of the episode, he is under the impression that this episode is on masculinity, but he is mistaken. They will actually be talking about being outside the norm, which broadly means that there's something about your life that's not like the majority of people around you or in society generally. It could be things like your relationship status, gender identity, sexual orientation, or vocation, amongst many other things. A particular norm they will discuss is that of being in a heterosexual marriage and producing children. By the end of this episode, we hope that you'll be able to better understand how we should think and feel about not being in the norm. As always, if you have any questions from listening to this episode, send us an email at podcast at highpointchurch.org. Thanks for listening. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Engage and Equip podcast. I'm here with, uh, uh, well, my name is John Sikotowski. I'm the director of kids ministry here at High Point Church. I'm here with Hannah Ahn. Hello. And Nick Gibson. That's right. And we're going to be talking about non-normative masculinity in this episode. Right. So this is an Escaping Babel episode where we've been talking about these different ways that we need to think to escape cultural captivity. So Nick, can you just remind us what Escaping Babel is about and then why it matters to talk about masculinity in the context of Escaping Babel, the thing? Yeah, so this the story of the Tower of Babel, Hannah Ahn, our international consultant, this isn't making faces at me, that's why I'm not no, speaking fluently. Um, the story of the Tower of Babel in the book of Genesis is um, is about human beings focusing on what they're doing mm-hmm. and getting confused by persuading themselves to do the opposite of what God told them to do and that that creates massive human confusion. Mm-hmm. And, um, and 
partly that God intentionally frustrates and partly naturally. And so escaping Babel is really about reintroducing ourselves to humanity, what like a human being really is, how we were created and made to function and what God has us here doing and like Mm -hmm. resetting a lot of those foundational basics so that we can actually do what God says and flourish rather than make it up as we go along and actually do the opposite of what God says and actually get really terrible results in our lives Mm -hmm. because of it and actually experience the divine punishment of his frustration of our lives by him giving us what we're actually even asked for. Yeah. So I, so that escape Bible is all about like reintroducing us to Mm -hmm. what theologians would call a Christian anthropology, Mm -hmm. what we really are as human beings and what God has really put us here to do and how we're supposed to live that out functionally. Yeah. So the importance in understanding masculinity would be that human anthropology piece. What is a man actually? What right. What is the point of a man? Why did God create? Why did right. God create a man? What sort of roles is he supposed to embrace? Right. Which we're going to do in later episodes. Mm-hmm. We, after this episode, we'll have three on masculinity. Yep. Previous to this one, we've done a number on femininity yep. with mostly a female group of talkers. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but, th- but this one we felt like we needed to do in relationship to um, the concept of non-normativity or what does it mean or look like when you are either a, in your masculine or femininity, you're just not norm, the norm, mm-hmm. right? In your marital status, you're not the norm. In your life vocation, you're not the norm. Or even in like your sexual orientation or sexual identity, not the norm. Mm-hmm. What does that mean yeah. in Christian faith? And what does it look like to be fully united to your God-given humanity in the image of God and to live it out as God intended. Mm-hmm. And that that um, that context, like that question, everybody faces on some level because in almost, every, almost everybody in some area of their life, they're not the majority of people mm-hmm. and they're not doing what most people seem to be supposed to be doing. And you got to know what that means. And if you don't, it'll create a lot of stress for you mm-hmm. or or you will really marginalize other people who are in that kind of vocation. Mm -hmm. And I think part of what's helpful about doing it this way too is, so, right, as you said, in later episodes, we're going to get into um, what is kind of fleshing out the idea of what is normal masculinity? What are the kind of character traits that that a man is supposed to embrace? What are some of the typical vocations, things like that? So it can be helpful to start off with, okay, as you're listening to that, since we're talking about these non normative things first, if you fall into if you feel like you identify as any one of these categories, that can kind of nuance your understanding of the later times as we're talking about right. and these masculinity conversations. You can conversations. still live out the meaning of something and be non-normative. Mm-hmm. So you can be a woman or a man and not be married and live out the purpose and meaning of your sexuality. Yeah. You can be um, uh, you can be uh, same-sex attracted or gay and you can live out God's purpose for your, you as a man or a woman, mm-hmm. right? You can, ha- I mean, there's there's all kinds of ways in which you, you can be a not particularly masculinish man, mm-hmm. and you can still live out God's purpose for your sex as a man and for God's purpose for your masculinity. Yeah, without being like macho or or even like highly masculine in a good sense. Yeah. So, just the part of the point of this episode is just to put people at a certain kind of ease mm-hmm. because our culture is primed to take offense at everything that doesn't sound like it connects with us perfectly yeah. and then to marginalize anything somebody says to us that doesn't fit into our um, pre-approved categories by evoking an offense emotional response. And I think that Christians have to wholeheartedly reject that. Mm-hmm. The, the Bible teaches that humility causes you to listen to everybody, including your enemies, 
and that you sh- that a wise person is extremely slow to take offense. One of the things that marks a wise person in the book of Proverbs is that their anger does not flare up mm-hmm. and they do not stop listening and marginalize what other people are saying. They listen even when they don't like it, even when it feels like a personal attack. And so I think Christians have to wholeheartedly reject the culture of offense and in so doing that'll enable us to talk about important things that yeah. we, because if, if you get offended and you don't listen to something that's part of your foundational humanity, mm-hmm. you're trying to not so, know something that you can't not know mm-hmm. and that you can't get away from and it will bite you in the behind. And it's happening to a whole, whole generations of people right now. And that's mm-hmm. one of the reasons why we've had so many episodes of escaping Babel. We really yeah. want to try to help people escape some of that. Mm-hmm. So jumping in, um, so we're using this word kind of the norm. So how would you define in the context of masculinity, what the norm is so that we can talk about things that might be outside of that? Yeah. Okay. So I want to widen this out to more than just masculinity. Okay. So the most important thing for people to get in their minds is that is the distinction between normal versus weird and normative versus non-normative. Okay. So sometimes you will need a small minority of things that are not like the majority of things, but those things are integrally important for the success of any endeavor, right? So on a volleyball team, you can get by with just one setter, but if you don't have a setter, you're going to lose every single game, Mm -hmm. right? And on a street, you're going to have maybe 15 or 20 or more sidewalk slabs per fire hydrant, right? Nobody would be like, well, we don't need fire hydrants. We've got all these slabs. Like mm-hmm. you, you need a minority number of fire hydrants or you have an unsafe area, mm-hmm. right? Yet you can imagine if you imbued sidewalks and fire hydrants with feelings, the fire hydrants might feel like we never get used. <laughs> we're just sit here. Like there's dogs pee on us. Pee on yeah. Day. Everybody, you know, people don't even care that we're here. Like people stub their toes on us and they people want to park near us. Right, 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 right. Yeah. People get tickets and they get mad at us instead of themselves. This is actually a very helpful metaphor. Yeah. I mean, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. You can even take it further because fire hydrants would struggle with loneliness and mm-hmm. sidewalks would struggle with people always being on them <laughs> which is like if you compare a single woman with a with a mother of four children that's mm-hmm. really literally how they can feel like they're struggling yeah right mm-hmm. and so the important thing here is is that um culturally speaking when people are not treating each other like they should they think in terms of normal versus weird and you see this with kids like in schoolyards and mm-hmm. stuff right either you conform like you're supposed to or you're weird and you're out it's all about belonging not belonging and in order for people to belong the way they ha- they should in the, in the body of Christ, you've got to be able to say, yes, this is normative and this is just not normative, but yeah. it's super important. And even mm-hmm. we might be significantly worse off without it. Mm-hmm. The, the biggest example in the Bible, of course, is singleness mm-hmm. and the argument in First Corinthians 7 about how singleness can be better in mm-hmm. some ways than marriage. But the Apostle Paul never backs down on the idea that he assumes marriage is going to be normative, that mm-hmm. the vast majority of people are going to get married, have children and live in the state or vocation of marriage. Mm-hmm. And so that's a, that's a really prime Christian example of like holding up singleness really high and yet recognizing that hopefully the vast, vast majority of people are going to get married and have children. Mm-hmm. So that makes sense. Yeah. So I think you've got to have that in your mind. And so you can be non-normative and not in the norm, so to speak, statistically, and yet you can be 100% in God's will, 100% doing what he wants you to do, mm-hmm. 100% being faithful to your temperament and your creation, 
right? Like a hundred percent on track mm-hmm. and you can be very non-normative mm-hmm. and feel like, and feel in some ways like you're on the outside yeah. of all the churning activity of human beings around you. And, but yet be, be at peace that you're absolutely at the center of God's will. Yeah. So what are some other examples of, of that dynamic? Somebody that is non-normative and, and especially as we start to kind of auger into masculinity specifically, what are some examples of non-normative lifestyles or types of people that yeah. are essential? So there's, so you made the example of singleness versus marriedness, marriedness, marriage. <laughs> um, yeah. What are other examples of that? Yeah. Well, I mean, Hannah um, mm-hmm. married somebody not of her race or ethnicity. Mm-hmm. So uh, people who get in, in biracial, bi-ethnic marriages mm-hmm. are, are not the majority right now. In some places, they're an extreme minority. Um, Hannah's also a missionary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like her vocationally, she's mm-hmm. lived internationally, worked internationally. Missionaries can feel very non-normative and on the outside of things. Mm-hmm. People sometimes only hydrants, feign respect. Lonely little fire hydrants. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she's wearing a big red vest. Yeah, that's, I dress so for this the is occasion. actually apropos, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So, like, and sometimes missionaries experience this, like, feigned mm-hmm. respect, mm-hmm. but they just really feel marginalized. So, um, Hannah's also over six feet tall. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, I mean, so those are some categories that are still fairly normal. Mm-hmm. Like biracial marriage is n- normal, yeah, but it's still not normative in that it's still a minority right. of people. Like in the distribution. Yeah. Right. And I think those yeah. are good examples too of the distinction between non-normative and, and wrong. You right. Know, being in a cross-cultural biracial marriage is not wrong in any sense in biblical standards, right. but it's non-normative and working in certain vocations. is not wrong, mm-hmm. but is just not what most people do. Yeah. Right. What are Unlike some, being tall. Right. That, just, that just I've repented of. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what are, you mentioned some other vocations in another right. conversation. Can you yeah. give other examples? But I think the missionary one is a good example mm-hmm. because without a certain small percentage of people becoming missionaries, yeah. mm-hmm. the mission of God does not get accomplished. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right, that you have to have some people willing to sacrifice in a way of moving cross culturally and cross linguistically, and like burning to ashes the comfort of living close to a lot of their friends, mm-hmm. and going and doing something else. And if you don't have a non normative group of people doing that, nothing happens, mm-hmm. right? And they can't be the majority because it takes a lot of money to send them, and you got to have mm-hmm. all these people willing to give. Mm-hmm. And so it, that's a classic normative, non normative, but where the normative is like extremely important. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. So some of these would be, uh, so I talked to, about this, that like, you know, there's some people in the church, for example, that God has used them to be politicians mm-hmm. or be like the provost of a university or to be a CEO of a company. And those people live extremely non-normative lifestyles. Mm-hmm. So as a pastor, I'm called to be, quote, no respecter of persons. Mm-hmm. And yet there are some people that like I have to be very available for because they're so busy. And if they need to talk to me, like I need to drop everything and go talk to them. Though I wouldn't do that for anybody in the congregation. Hmm. And I try to make sure it's not because they're like powerful or Mm -hmm. quote important, but just because I'm trying to recognize their different vocation. They -hmm. work 75, 80 hour weeks. They have a huge amount of public scrutiny. They can't say one wrong word. Right. Mm -hmm. And in all of that, I need to try to shepherd them. So as a pastor, I have to recognize some people's vocational non-normative mm-hmm. vocations. Mm-hmm. Also, I would say people that have um, non-normative sexual orientations, mm-hmm. which includes like gay, lesbian, trans, and bi. But it would also include like, there are some people that just have extremely low sex drives. Mm-hmm. There's some people that have extremely aggressive sex drives. 
Mm-hmm. And their experiences of their sexuality and therefore they're living out their sexuality faithfully yeah. is just different. And yeah. so like if they listen to just normal sermons and they don't get any specific advice about exactly what they're dealing with, if they don't have a support group for what they're dealing with, mm-hmm. then they can really struggle because they need special attention in certain ways oftentimes. Yeah. And so sometimes recognizing that is extremely important. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. wish we could just say sexual addiction was non-normative. Mm-hmm. But it seems to be more the norm right. than the than the. Uh, but I think in some ways, men and women seeking to be free of it is non normative. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, so sometimes we have ministries just for non normative situations like escaping sexual addiction. Yeah, I think people who have been abused in certain extreme ways will find themselves in non normative si- situations where like they're just reacting to things so much different than everybody else mm-hmm. that they don't even know what to do, and so yeah. they just needed different kind of friendship, a different kind of healing, a different kind of. A, attention mm-hmm. and trying to recognize that and love people because it's not their fault. Right. That's not their fault. Mm-hmm. Some people are in non-normative situations and because of things that are their fault. Mm-hmm. It, right. It can be either way, but I think when Christians just realize when people are a sliver of the population, getting help and figuring it out mm-hmm. becomes increasingly difficult. Mm-hmm. Even mm-hmm. though in some ways technology has made this easier. Yeah. Like now you can find just like white supremacists right. can find right. each other on the internet, right. which is a, which is too bad. Right. People with very narrow experiences can find each other on the internet, which can be good. Like I was reading some stuff before Hannah's wedding about p- trouble people have in biracial marriages, especially if they're white, um, East Asian. Mm-hmm. And there were these blogs where all these people mm-hmm. had commented mm-hmm. about their particular struggles and it was like all the same three struggles. Yeah. <laughs> so when I did Hannah and Sung Young's pre-marriage counseling, when I talked to them about their marriage, I was like, okay, here are the three things it looks like you're going to probably bump into. Mm-hmm. And they were like, oh yeah, we've already kind of bumped into those. <laughs> <laughs> so I think there are some blessings that God has brought about through technology even though non-normative people can also use technology to get into online communities that will tell them to do very sinful and worldly things mm-hmm. with their non-normative um, experiences. Yeah. Like we're seeing that now with what's called um, rapid onset transgender clustering hmm. where like young people who like, like a boy who like is very unsure about his masculinity hmm. and goes, well, maybe I'm trans. And then he'll get online and start talking to other trans mm-hmm. boys. And instead of, and he'll go from being like a, boy who was unsure about his masculinity who just needed some affirmation and some good real male role models to be like, well, if I become trans then all this stress will go away. Mm-hmm. And what happens is you get, instead of getting like one trans kid in each high school yeah, or in every third high school, you'll get like four in this one or 10 in this one and none in that one. Yeah. And those clustering effects are not biological. They're not faithful to the actual experience of real gender dysphoria on a mm-hmm. clinical sense. Instead what they are is, with all the gender confusion that exists, people that are weaker in their gender identity, instead of fighting through it and then mm-hmm. embracing it over time, they actually say, well, it's actually would be much easier if I just was non-gender specific. I rejected binary gender altogether, or I actually identified as trans. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's the negative of technology, right? Right. In, in a, in looking for people that feel like you. But I remember being like a defective boy when I was young. I was like, I grew really late. I was small and weak relative to other men. And it was very, I felt non-normative. I felt very isolated mm-hmm. and I didn't feel there was no, there were no men who was like, look, I was little, I didn't grow till later. And every once in a while I'd bump into somebody who would tell me that. And that was really comforting. 
So it would have been great if I could have found more people who were in that non-normative thing to support me. Mm-hmm. But had I found a support in a different direction, who knows what would have happened. So mm-hmm. technology is, a, is always a two-edged sword. Yeah. 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 So with that, um, I, I guess, where do, where do you start to see... And so you gave the example of using technology as a way to commiserate in a way that's unhelpful and, and provide solutions that are, that are unhelpful or even sinful or, or just don't understand what a human is or the opposite yeah, or sometimes the opposite, it can right. be very helpful or right. the opposite. Um, where are some ways that non-normativity starts to get into the place where it's, where it becomes wrong or sinful? Like how does, and how do we, how do we kind of like distinguish between those things as we look at our own lives in ways that were non-normative, how do we like begin to make distinction between, okay, should this be something I should shift or is this something that I should um, like embrace as part of my non-normative identity? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I keep looking at Hannah trying to try to get her to talk, but she is too <laughs> wise for such behavior. Um, so, but feel free to interrupt me. <laughs> Will do. Um, yeah, so I think first, just start with reading the Bible more carefully and yeah. understanding the gospel more deeply, right? So a lot of non, quote, non-normative situations are specifically addressed in the scriptures if we read them carefully, hmm. right? So um, asexual people, for example, they're like, well, where about, well, in, in Isaiah 56, there's a specific section on the fact that eunuchs or people who do not engage sexually in ways that will produce children and have a... a a line, a, a line of heirs, right? Mm-hmm. So either somebody who was single who didn't get married or maybe somebody who was asexual or whatever. He says, I will give them in my house that is eschatologically in the end, mm-hmm. a name that is better than sons and daughters. Mm-hmm. So like God speaks to them and says, if you'll devote yourself to me in all the other areas of human life mm-hmm. that you are in some ways more free to do because of this limitation that's been put on you by providence or by nature, mm-hmm. you, I will bless you. Mm-hmm. And not just in the present, I will give you something meaningful in the present, but I will I will put your name in the most sacred place and your your name will be carried on in my memory and mine. Mm-hmm. Like that's meant to like take this non-normative person or group of people and say, still the only thing that matters is their devotion to me, mm-hmm. is what God is saying. Mm-hmm. And w- whether or not they're willing to use the providences of their life and the situations of their environment and experience and use it for my purposes, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So in every case, the bio, I think in most of these cases, People can find direct or pretty direct biblical passages that will tell them mm-hmm. whether or not what they're doing is good. Yeah. Right? And so like singleness and asexuality and being a eunuch and being a, and how to rightly be a slave. And like, I mean, all kinds of really bad things you don't have control over or things that you do that are your fault. Mm-hmm. Where do I go from here? Mm-hmm. Including people who sacrifice their children. Yeah. So like, I mean, some people, so one non-normative group is women who have had abortions mm-hmm. who are morally horrified now and have no idea what to do. Mm-hmm. That's when am I going to talk about that in a sermon? Right. Mm-hmm. But the Bible broaches that there's all kinds of people in the Bible who burned their children alive to the God Molech. And God makes very clear what he wants them to do next. Mm-hmm to repent and believe mm-hmm. and to admit what they did was wrong and to always speak against such behavior mm-hmm. and to live for life from that point forward and receive his forgiveness mm-hmm. and pardon. You know what I mean? So yeah. if, you, if we read the Bible carefully, I think most of these non-normative things are going to be clear to us. Yeah. Right. Singleness is a big one, but homosexuality is dealt with in the Bible as well. Non-normative mm-hmm. orientations are dealt with in the scriptures. And so I, I really think that there's just, 
there's just biblical direction if we care to hear right. it. You know? Right. And if and you then, don't understand it, that's why the church exists. Go talk to your pastor. Mm-hmm. And then with some of those, it sounds like, right, the response is there too. Because some of them, there is a response that should be taken that is to repent and believe. And for some of them, there is a certain way of living life that will be different, but isn't necessarily one that requires repentance and new belief and trying to head in a quote unquote more normative direction. Right. Right. And some people, you, when you face the gospel in the Bible, you will be called to go in a more normative direction. Mm-hmm. Or like, for example, um, with same-sex attracted people, some of those folks recognize they've got two options, right? Mm-hmm. One is, is that they can be celibate and they can learn to control their sexuality in such a way as to be godly as a single person. And the other is to engage in like cross-orientation marriage or something like that. Like mm-hmm. th- there are multiple options available, but doing whatever you want isn't. Right. 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 But that's true for everyone. Like there's a lot of heterosexual people that are non-normatively single for the wrong reasons. Yeah. Right. We'll talk a lot more about that in the masculinity section because mm-hmm. a lot of those people are men. Mm-hmm. But increasingly you have women too that are just kind of like, I don't need a man. I don't, mm-hmm. and I don't want a man. I don't want to be around a man all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is a rejection of God's complementary creation of man and woman for each other. It's just mm-hmm. a flat rejection of God's intention. And so if you're single because you haven't found a suitable partner, that's perfectly godly. If you are single because you hate men or women or marriage, then that's not godly. And you need yeah. to repent and change your views mm-hmm. and then see where God takes the providences of your relationships. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So as we're talking about some of the reasons for being non-normative, maybe this would be a good moment to kind of make some mental categories for ourselves where we have, you can choose to be non-normative. Like um, a missionary calling. Right. And you could choose that for uh, righteous reasons or unrighteous reasons. Yes. Uh, you could be non-normative, not by your choice. Right. Like being tall. You were talking about your experience as a boy. And just last night we were watching family home videos of like me as a child and watching me grow up from like five to 10. And my parents just kept saying, you're so big, (laughs) you're so big compared to everyone else. And I was looking, I'm like, oh, I'm like a giant monster if back there. If only we were in the same generation, you could have protected me at high school. <laughs> and my dad is like, did you feel like a monster back then? Were you aware of that at the age of 10? Monster's like, probably a, a, yeah, helpful. <laughs> I was like, of course I was aware of it. Every time we played house, I was either the father or the house. <laughs> so, <laughs> of course I was aware of it. Um, <laughs> But Do you feel like you've dealt with the wounds of that? I don't know if I, maybe we should <laughs> have podcast. some counseling yeah, yeah. later. Um, but right. So choosing to be series. non-normative or having, being in that condition, not mm-hmm. by your own choice. Right. And then within the category of choosing, what are the reasons for choosing it? Right. Could you break those categories down a little, maybe give some examples of what you would put in those categories? Yeah. I th- I th- yeah. So you can start it on a little so bit. So you can be in a non-normative category by choice or not by choice. <laughs> Right. <laughs> so I would put, for example, I think a very large portion of same-sex attracted people, mm-hmm. LGBT people, I would put in that category. Mm-hmm. Um, Which category? The the non-choice yeah. one. Yeah. Um, because I think that if it is relative to people's choices, they don't know they're making those choices and they're mm-hmm. having at such young ages, they have no idea what the implications will be. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's most important to just say it's not chosen. Um, and I think for some people it is absolutely not chosen. There are some people that have fluid enough sexuality where 
they can choose it. But mm-hmm. that's just a proportion and it's hard to know. There's, you guys know my view on homosexuality. If, there, if there's not one homosexuality, there's right. numerous mm-hmm. homosexualities mm-hmm. and they function kind of differently. So, but for the most part, I would put um, LGBT um, orientations in that non-normative, cat- non-normative, non-chosen category. Um, I think that there are some people who are single who would be in the non-normative, non-chosen category. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, um, I think there's some people who are single who are in the non-normative chosen category. Mm-hmm. I think that uh, vocationally, I think that's usually chosen mm-hmm. if they're non-normative vocationally. Um, in terms of ministry calling, I think that that's, I count that as chosen. They could say, well, I was called. God called me. It wasn't my choice. It's still your choice. Mm-hmm. You still choose uh, choose to do it. Um, and so I consider that chosen, right? So if you're a missionary or a pastor, that's mm-hmm. non-normative, but it's a choice, right? Um, yeah. So then within the, within those, if you're in a non-normative category that you didn't choose, singleness, you didn't choose a sexual orientation, you didn't choose Mm -hmm. or gender identity, a feel, a felt gender identity, you didn't choose a, and also you would, you could put injustice in this. Like Mm -hmm. if you're, you're put in a position that you didn't choose either by abuse or Mm -hmm. harm or whatever, those would be non-normative situations that you didn't choose. Um, I, I think, for example, if, for example, if you've been abused and you didn't choose that, okay, great. That's, mm-hmm. that's, you're, there's no moral thing against you because you were abused. Mm-hmm. You were a victim. However, it is your moral responsibility to seek to heal. Yeah. Right. So like, I've actually had, you know, sometimes when you get hurt, you don't really want to do the thing mm-hmm. that makes you feel better. Just in like basic injuries. Like I've had my daughter like get a cut on her leg. Mm-hmm. I think when we were elk hunting, she got a cut on her, on her leg or something like that. And I was like, you know, Abby, this is what you need to do to that so that it doesn't get worse tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And she's just laying there. You know, she's just kind of like, because <laughs> you don't want to get up and do it. Or like mm-hmm. sometimes when you're sick, you should get up and like drink more fluid or like yeah. you know what you want to do, but you really don't want to do it. Mm-hmm. I think that's true for all sicknesses, hurts, and wounds. Nobody wants to do the thing that makes you better. Yeah. And so I think like if you're a victim and you've been hurt by like abusive parents or sexual abuse or rape or any of those things, you are not morally obligated to have not been victimized, Mm -hmm. but you are morally obligated to take this being that you are made in God's image and to seek to be as healed as you can be. Yeah. So that you don't, you're not continually diminished by the wreckage of your abuse and you're not continually creating more wreckage in ways because you're so diminished or because it's not perpetrated. There's, I read recently a guy who said that, which, um, that pain which we have, which isn't transformed, is going to be transmitted. Hmm. Even if you're trying not to pass on your abuse, psychologically it seems like human beings still reenact it without realizing it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so that you you abuse people that, and you're not trying to, even though you're a victim. And so I, I do think sometimes when you're in a non-normative situation, you can be like, well, I didn't choose this. This isn't my choice. That does not mean you're free of moral responsibility for how to deal with or handle mm-hmm. that situation. A single person who was like, well, I want to get married. Okay, great. Great. But what are you living a fruitful life for Jesus now? Yeah. Or aren't you? Because mm-hmm. the Bible says that one of the glories of singleness is the freedom and improvisation and the capacity to risk. Mm-hmm. If you're single and you're living a super safe, non-productive <laughs> and you're mm-hmm. like you're not harnessing any of the distinctives of mm-hmm. the non-normativity what good is it you're not mm-hmm. making it good for anything yeah right and so i think you are morally obligated in that sense even if you didn't choose the non-normativity 
if you choose the non-normativity, either out of vocation or something like that, then I just think you're all the more responsible mm-hmm. to improve on it the best you can. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, um, but I think if you're in the normative group, right, part of the idea here is to be gracious. Y- you can push somebody who's non-normative for them to seek God and to grow, but you don't want to push them out like they're weird. Mm-hmm. Right. You want to make sure they feel an inward pressure mm-hmm. toward the community, towards your love for them. Even if there's also an upward pressure where you're trying to help push them up mm-hmm. to be all that they can be in Christ. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. But I think a lot of people feel a slightly outward pressure. And when you, they feel an outward pressure that always also feels like a downward pressure. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So, so, you can think about that anatomically. Like if you think about how your shoulders and your arms, like when you pull people towards you, mm-hmm. your shoulders are higher than your hands and you're naturally pulling them up a little bit. Mm-hmm. And when you push people away from you, just because your shoulders are high, you tend to be pushing away and down a little bit. And just relationally, just that's what tends to happen with people. When you pull them in, you tend to pull them up. And when you push people away, you tend to push them away and down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So part of kind of what you touch on in this, how should... Um, how should you feel if you're not in the norm? So you talked about some of the, some of the responsibilities, but what are the sort of attendant feelings that should go along with that? And some of the attendant pursuits that should go along with those feelings if you're not in the norm. He's looking at me. Yeah. You, am I supposed to answer this You've question? You've just experienced a lot of this. Yeah. As this is, this is a little therapeutic for me actually, because <laughs> as we're listing things off, I didn't realize how non-normative I was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and still are in some ways. You've, all you've done is gotten yeah. married. Yeah. I just keep getting weirder. One of my and mentors you told a, me. a guy from South Korea. Yeah. I'm not sure that's much less. One of my mentors mm-hmm. told me, you're so weird. I, I just can't imagine anyone marrying you. <laughs> <laughs> that like, wasn't me, was it? <laughs> no, was that before <laughs> or after you had gotten married? That was before. <laughs> okay, yeah. that's that. That's probably worse. Yeah. <laughs> so don't do that. Right. Yeah, yeah that, that would be an be, example be of thing. how to maybe that that that's didn't the, feel like pulling. Right. Up that's the pushing and out in. and down. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> I think didn't I tell you that all the single men in the church are idiots because you're single? Do you remember me telling you that? Yeah. Yeah. No, <laughs> and she's just like, I guess they were taller, maybe. <laughs> Um, all right. So John, your question was how should non-normative people feel about their right? Like what is, what is right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What is like right feeling mm-hmm. in that? Right. And what should some of the attendant right. actions be? Right. Well, I think, um, going along with what Nick has been saying, one of the first things that someone who realizes in some way that they're non-normative is they should prayerfully take stock of that non-normativity mm-hmm. um, and think about the reasons why that condition is there are they in the category of they had no choice this is a condition that it just is for them mm-hmm. um, if that's the case I think um, you know looking at scripture and seeing what God has to say to you in your condition you know a case that Nick gave about people who um, do not or cannot reproduce enter into that type of relationship um, examine what God has to say to you about that. Hmm. Um, I think, I think a lot about the promise about like anyone who has left father, mother, brother, sisters for the gospel will receive so much more, Hmm. um, in this life. Hmm. Um, because that's something that's a state of my non-normativity is that I leave people a lot. Hmm. Um, and I find a lot of hope 
and comfort in that promise. Mm. Um, and finding my contentment in Christ. You know, I'm really challenged in my non-normative states to really think of Christ as my portion Hmm. and my reward Hmm. in a way that I might not be challenged to do in another condition. Or there might be other circumstances in another condition that would push me towards that. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, every Christian is called to that same thing, that same work. Yeah. Yeah. Are there ways in your experience of non-normativity that the fact of your being non-normative has been an enhancement to your relationship with God in Mm -hmm. like a, okay, I get to trust God in a new way, Mm -hmm. or I get to, I get to see how he works in this Mm -hmm. particular new circumstance that somebody else wouldn't get to see. Mm -hmm. Are there some examples from your own life where you can point out things like that? Absolutely. I think, I mean, just the riches of Christ that I've been able to taste Mm -hmm. while giving up other things that I genuinely grieve not having. Mm -hmm. Um, So the things that I've gained, for example, is, um, you know, my work has had me travel a lot uh, and try to be embedded in different communities Mm and other countries Mm -hmm. and continents. And I feel genuinely like I have family on at least four continents. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've been able to see the gospel in ways that I wouldn't have been able to see before. Mm -hmm. I love the gospel. I'm more excited by the gospel than I was before I started this because I get to see how it's good news Mm -hmm. in ways that I didn't realize before. Mm -hmm. Like I I never thought of Christ as my brother Mm. as much as I did before I worked in Africa. Mm. And that's so exciting to me. Mm-hmm. I'm, I just, I want to tell people about it more because I've seen other parts of it that I didn't see before. Mm. Um, also the loneliness of having been single for most of this work um, and not having a home, always living in other people's homes. I really had to wrestle with the idea that Christ is my home. Mm. I am at home in Christ. Um, and I'm sure I could, with more time, I could list other things. Um, but that doesn't erase the grief right. of, you know, um, the things that I see that I can't have. Um, but this also makes me think of when I was single as mm-hmm. non-normative. You know, having these conversations, you know, with Nick, for example, really made me think about why am I single? Hmm. Are there things that I'm doing that are actually not right like do i need to work on certain parts of my character Mm. um to make myself a better possible partner yeah um and that was a challenge for me too so thinking about the reasons Mm -hmm. um prayerfully i think is an important step as well Mm -hmm. yeah yeah so glad i pressured her to talk (laughs) (laughs) so so let me um i probably have to wrap up here pretty Mm -hmm. quick let me let me give like maybe three a three-part look at okay so if you're in a non-normative situation and everyone who's a believer should be right the 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 bible is constantly teaching that the actual believers in jesus those who have 
experience regeneration are living to grow in godliness and are mm-hmm. walking in step with the spirit it's always going to be a minority of people right we're always going to live in the context of what the bible calls worldliness and we will be the odd people out so every christian mm-hmm. should have some experience of worldliness mm-hmm. or some experience of non-normativity right if they're seeking godliness and refusing worldliness right right exiles right we're exiles exactly so um there's three things though that we can ask for the first is is the question is, is this just a providence of God that mm-hmm. is the way it is and I need to embrace it and let it direct me, right? So um, if you, singleness in marriage is a good example of that one. If you're single and you don't have a suitable person to marry, that could direct you to work in other vineyards, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Family's a lot of work. It's a lot of attention. It's a very specific labor for a certain kind of productivity. If you're not doing that right now, there's so many other ways to labor in the vineyards of God and to do things that are productive and human and good. Mm-hmm. And so you should let yourself be directed towards those other things. Mm-hmm. And those things are probably neglected because if you're in a non-normative vocation, then you can do things those other people can't do, right? The second is to see if the reason for your non-normative state is speak for pride and selfishness because you have a sinful outlook on things right so there's there are a lot of people who are single who really should be they're they're not actually recognizing that the normative purpose of their creation is to fulfill the creation mandate which is to multiply that is be fertilely fruitful and then to take dominion over the world that is to work and form families that are fertile and loving and to embrace the complementary complementary mandate that is that god created men and women for each other because it's not good that men are alone mm-hmm. right if you understand that it's the basic mandate of yourself as a human being then you should recognize that it is normative and good and something you should actually seek out which is to find a suitable person, marry and love them and grow in sanctification with them. If, if you're just like, well, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be exploited and have some, a bunch of people leeching off my work. And I don't want to, to open myself to divorce. And I don't want to be with a woman because women are terrible or men are terrible. Those are all sinful ideas. Mm-hmm. They're rejections of things that God has created and called good and instituted among men and women for our welfare and happiness and for the ends that he wants, not just the ends we want, right? In the end of the Old Testament, God says, the reason I condemn you for divorcing the wives of your youth is because I wanted godly offspring. Not you wanted godly offspring, but God's like, I wanted mm-hmm the godly offspring. Mm-hmm. And so it's not just our purposes that God has in our exploitation, but it's his own purposes, right? So one is you might have to repent. And then third is, are you stuck in this non-normative state in because of harm that's been done to you such that you need healing? Hmm. Mm-hmm. So when I look, for example, of people in extended singleness that don't want to be, right? There's some people that want to be in extended singleness for reasons of selfishness and pride. There's some people for whom that's just the providences that they've experienced. Mm-hmm. And then for some people, there's s- numerous classifications of people who are single that they have something that makes them unattractive that is actually rooted usually in a harm or a hurt that they're having difficulty being free of. And in some ways it's because they're not really facing either the problem or how deep the problem goes. Or like I said before about like tending to wounds, they just don't want to do the thing that they that needs to be done 
to tend the wound so that there can be healing. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of people in that category. And and for a lot of people, it's not their fault. Yeah. The wreckage of the sexual revolution and many of the transformations of human culture in terms of parenting, family structure, and sexuality that have happened over the last 50 years in America has created a generations of young people that are fractured and broken and compl- and terribly disillusioned around things like identity, sexuality, maleness, femaleness, bonding with each other, permanent, like lifelong um, unions like marriage, having children when children are terrible, like all that kind of stuff is just so broken and skewed that there's going to be just thousands and thousands and thousands and millions of younger people who have all kinds of different wounds. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them actually have to do with security and being wanted. Mm -hmm. Millions of young people do not believe they're wanted Mm. sexually or relationally. And it makes them profoundly unable to engage in romantic relationships, stabilize them, intensify them, bring them to marriage and sustain them. Mm -hmm. And until they deal with that crippling insecurity and inferiority, that feeling like they're unwanted sexually and otherwise, and really start, really heal they're just not gonna emerge into the kind of attractive is there that helper that you that a man really wants or that leading man that can take dominion and be a provider and protector that that really activates the femininity of women that Mm -hmm. makes them want to bond with you and so i think for a lot of people in non-normative states one of the first steps is healing is that you need to try to you may not try to change the thing that's not normative this is especially true for like lgbt people too Mm -hmm. is like the goal is not to like make you not lgbt but what often goes along with that statistically speaking in an enormous way is a lot of a lot of issues Mm -hmm. right and so seeking healing for those things can just make us healthier and more able to serve Jesus more fully, mm-hmm. no matter what happens with our singleness or our orientations or our vocations or any of those things, right? First Corinthians 7, I think, gives the kind of last word on this where it says, whatever vocation you found yourself in when you were called, that is mm-hmm. called to mm-hmm. believe in Jesus, mm-hmm. just don't let it trouble you. Like it's, it's fine. If you can, if you should, if you want to change it and you can change it, then change it like slavery. He's like, if you can buy your freedom, do it. But don't let any situation you're in trouble you. You belong to God and you can serve God in that situation. Yeah. Normative and non-normative. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's got to be the baseline for every believer. Yeah. And then the acceptance of the normative towards the non-normative has to be extremely high, mm-hmm. sacrificial, and loving. Mm-hmm. Um, not just towards like missionaries and pastors and people like that, but towards everybody who's struggling with a non-normativity that affects them deeply Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and everybody should if if you're a christian seeking godliness you ought to know how that feels because it should feel like that every time you're out in the culture Mm -hmm. you should feel your own marginalization Mm -hmm. that you are a minority that you're not in the majority that people don't really want to hear what Mm -hmm. you really think and you should know exactly how that feels Mm -hmm. and when you know that the capacity for a certain kind of paralleled empathy should be higher yeah. for you. Yeah. And one of the non-normativities we did not mention that I should mention, or it will be glaring is just race in some places. Mm-hmm. Sometimes like you're like, you know, at high point only about 13 to 4 to 15% of people aren't white. Well, that means everybody who's not white mm-hmm. experiences a non-normativity at high point mm-hmm. church. Yeah. And that that's true, more true in different parts of the world and less true in different parts of the world. Mm-hmm. But that's a, re- that's a real thing too. And that's obviously not chosen. It's not something you're supposed to be healed from, mm-hmm. but it is something that you can utilize. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you had in the notes a few things that I think are just really important to say for people who are non-normative in certain ways. Um, that maybe would be a good note to end on, that you fully belong to Christ and his church. Um, non-normative things are critically needed. Um, and for loving non-normative friends, for those who have people in their lives who fall into non-normative categories, um, to ask them what they might need. Um, you know, recognize that um, there is a place at the table for everyone mm-hmm. in Christ's kingdom, and we need to act that out at our tables <laughs> um, mm-hmm. and in our daily activities and things like that. Um, and so include them in normative states uh, that are available to you, as well as release them that they don't have to do everything normatively. Um, and in the ways where it's in keeping with the kingdom of God, give them your blessing as they enter into areas that they're um, called to steward in non-normative life. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. And there's a number of ways in which, like, just looking at the Savior, like, Jesus was single, mm-hmm. and he was marginalized in a lot of ways. And even though he was a normative race, he lived among the people who were subjugated. Mm-hmm. among the the wider Roman Empire. And so there were in, there were all kinds of ways in which Jesus didn't have it easy. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's intentional because God loves people who did, don't have it easy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he ministers to them and he is not flippant with their pain, mm-hmm. though we sometimes are. Mm-hmm. So hopefully if you're listening to this as well, you can also take comfort from how much God sees you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Great. Thanks guys. All right. We'll see you guys next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of the engage and equip podcast. If you have a podcast idea or a question you'd like answered on the podcast, send us an email at podcast at highpointchurch.org. If you'd like to find more episodes, you can go online to highpointchurch.org slash podcast. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Overcast, and other apps like that. We hope this episode was helpful to you as you grow in becoming a more substantive disciple and a part of the local church. If this episode was helpful to you, rate or review us on Apple Podcasts or share this episode with a friend. Those are some of the best ways we have to reach new listeners. Until next time, thanks for listening to this episode of Engage and Equip.